following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. We're picking up here. We've been on a break for about six weeks through the Christmas and through the New Year. And now we come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is where it finds us. You guys know what idioms are, right? You know what slogans are. You know what idioms are. They're they're kind of sayings of the modern day, sayings of, of a particular culture, of how a culture talks about certain things. Um, businesses use them all the time. Like it melts in your mouth and not in your hands, right? Diamonds are forever or breakfast of champions. And you know, oh, I know those. I've heard those. I know those brands. We use them in our normal conversation. They may sound weird, but we understand what they mean. Things like a penny for your thoughts. Because I want to know what you're thinking. A watch pot never boils. You know what that means. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. The early bird gets the worm. You hit the nail on the head. These are, ways, these are slogans and idioms and ways of saying things that mean something. And now, it seems like in the modern day, we don't even need words at all. YOLO, XOXO, LOL, BFF, TTYL. I mean, we have now just letters that can communicate meaning and, and, and how we're feeling. Now, these are part of our culture. And you'll notice in our scripture that, that Bic read, and you'll refer to it in, in your bulletin or in your Bible as you're following along. He starts out and he says, all things are lawful for me. And it's in quotations. And he says it again, all things are lawful for me. And again, it's in quotations. He says it again in, um, later on in, this, in, the, in the book. And it's in quotations. Because this is a slogan of the day. It's an idiom. It's a way of saying something. And, and it was particularly relating to sexual Sexual life, sexual relationships. And it meant all is free, all is lawful, all is free, all is, all is free for me. And it was something that was true for the people of their life. They, they held on to this slogan. And it was something that was understood in their culture. All is free. I am free. I'm not bound by anything. And it crept kind of into the Christian culture as well. It's my body. I can do it my, what I want. Literally means the Greek is pas existen. All is permissible. And after all, the gospel is the love of God. And the gospel makes us free, does it not? And the gospel forgives us and sets us free. And we are free in Christ. Because God loves us and therefore we are free. And so what is wrong with that slogan? All is free, all is permissible for me. Paul says, yes and no. And so this slogan had crept into the church In the gospel, there is freedom, but freedom must never be a substitute for thinking biblically about our lives. This is what he wants to bring them into, this conversation, to think biblically about their lives and their freedom in Christ. You know, we breathe the air of our culture just as much as these people thousands of years ago breathed the air of their culture. These Christians breathe the air of their culture. And the most dangerous problem for these people was that they were not applying the gospel to their current lives. They were not allowing the gospel to bear on every situation in their life. The truth of Christ and his work, his work was not functioning. They believed it, they understood it, they knew what it meant, but it wasn't functioning out in their daily lives. And it was not affecting them the way that it should. And the Bible really shamelessly and explicitly is clear on what we should and should not know concerning our sexual relationships. There are some passages that 
give us the imperative. And you know that word is the imperative. And that is, do this, don't do that. It's, these are commandments. And then there are other scriptures that give us the, the indicative. And those are the, the, the scriptures that tell us why we should and shouldn't do. This passage gives us both. And it's great for us. Because this passage gives us the imperatives of what we, what we should believe. And it also gives us the indicative. Why should we believe this? Why should we be people that allow the gospel to bear in our lives in this particular way? It explains to us the good news of God's love expressed in Jesus Christ in such a way that it will not only bear on our souls, that it will not only bear on our minds, but it will bear on our bodies, our physical bodies and how we use our bodies and how we live. It's such an important subject for us to wrestle with, particularly because we interact with people every single day that are thinking about these things, Christians, non-Christians, people in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, people in our schools, people in our own homes maybe, are asking questions about this topic. And the same thing, many, many people said thousands of years ago and are saying it today, we are free. We are free to do what we want. And little by little, Christians are being told slowly over time that they are stupid to condemn any other lifestyle, any other way of thinking. And these people were faced with that, that situation. They were they were told to believe otherwise than being free was unaccepting and unloving of people that were different from them. They were told that they were adding a different message to Christianity than it intended. They were told, you've misunderstood the meaning of this teaching. They were told that they were being old-fashioned and needed to enter into the modern age. I wonder if they said things like, this is A.D., it's not B.C. anymore. It's the 60s. Like, literally the 60s, like year 60. <laughs> the original 60s. <laughs> parents, and if you're parents and you have kids, if you have kids here in the service, I want you to know that I won't, I'm not going to go into explicit detail of sexual relationships, but I encourage you, as parents, to engage in dialogue with your kids. To, in, 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 in your own discernment, in your own timing, engage in dialogue about this topic. About what the Bible says. Lead them to know the truth of God's word and how it ought to bear in their lives, on their mind, on their soul, and on their bodies. It's important. Non-Christians and Christians alike, if you're, you're here with us, we love you. We welcome you. We want to engage in dialogue about what God's word says. The reason why we've come is because we want to come to seek God's word, to know him. It's all about Jesus We want to know him more, and I hope that as we encounter this scripture together, you will know him more. We will know him more together. So let's approach God's word with willingness to hear, an open heart. It says in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. We are free, Paul is saying, but we should not be ruled by our freedom. We should not be ruled by our desires. To use the analogy, he says, we are free to eat food, but not free to be gluttons. We are free to have sex, but not free to be sexually immoral. Our bodies are meant for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for us. This this means that God cares. He cares about how we use our bodies. He cares, man, woman, child, adult, he cares about how we use our bodies. We ought to give thought to how our, to use our bodies because 
it's not just our souls that have real spiritual significance. I think it's easy to think a lot of times about our Christianity, our spirituality, and we, and we, we think about it as it affects our soul. Where are we going to spend eternity as our soul? How is our soul changed and transformed? How is our soul affected? What is, the, what is going to be the future of our soul? And yet Paul brings us into a new, a new dimension of how we ought to view our life with God, that our bodies are also very significant, that our bodies have a future as well. And so I want to just touch on three things. We're to think biblically about our body, and he goes on to explain how we are to think biblically about our body. And the first one is, our bodies have a future. Our bodies have a future. Our bodies have a destiny. Verse 14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Our bodies will be raised up by God. At creation, God created everything. He created our bodies, and he looked on it, and he said, it is good. And then at the fall, there came in this, this destruction of our bodies, our soul, and our spirit. Our bodies suffer. We get old. We age. We, we get diseased. We get sick. There seems to be this curve that as we, as we grow, we get stronger and stronger, and then there's this point where we are at our prime, and then we start to go down, and that's why they say it's over the hill. And some of us are kind of on that downward slope. I mean, others of us are probably just fishing, you know, in the valley. Like, we're, we're, we're over that hill. We're, we're done. But you feel your body is aging. And this is, and this is a result of the fall. It's a result of the destructions of our souls and our body. And all of creation groans for redemption. The Bible says that all of creation comes together and, and cries out with groans of, of, of for relief. God, will you redeem us? Will you make us whole again? Will you make us healthy again? And all creation groans for this, for renewal. And Jesus says, yes, I will redeem all of creation, including your bodies. The work of redemption includes our bodies. It includes our spirit. It includes our heart, our soul, our mind. It includes all of us, and our body included. There is a future redemption for your body. Your body will not get the last word. And that's good news. Our bodies have a great destiny, a great purpose, and a great dignity. They will participate in the future redemption of Jesus Christ. Why should the future resurrection of our bodies make us think about how we are to use our bodies today? That's a good question, right? One we should all be asking. In raising our bodies, we receive honor from Jesus. For Paul to tell us, your bodies will be resurrected by the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He is giving us the same honor that Jesus Christ received in his resurrection. So he's saying there is a day that is coming that your bodies will be honored. Not just your bodies, your whole being, but your bodies included will be honored. In high school I had this neighbor, and he was, his name was Mr. Wendling. And he was a wonderful guy. He was an old man. And... At this, you know, as a young guy, he was probably the oldest man I'd ever known. He owned a printing press in town. He was very wealthy. And in the summers, I would help him out in his yard. I would mow the lawn. I would go to his ranch and, and tidy up things. And so just odd jobs around the house, I would go and, and work for him and earn a little extra money. And he was one of those guys where you go into his garage, and there's just fascinating things in there, right? There are things that you think, where was this from? This has a story, where was this from? What happened? Tell me about, tell me about your life and how this was part of it. it was, he was just such an, an interesting man. 
his father was a, a jockey uh, and raced in the Kentucky Derby uh, in the 20s. I mean, he just has so many stories, and I loved listening to him and, and, and knowing him. And one day he called me over to his house because he had a job for me. And I come over to his house, and he comes, shows me his backyard, and I can tell there's a car there, and it has a tarp over it. And he pulls the tarp off. It's a 1936 Lincoln Town car. A beautiful car. And he, and he looks at me, and this is how the conversation went. He didn't give it to me. <laughs> Anyways, if you're thinking. He says, I bought this car brand new. I bought this car brand new when I got my license. It lets you know how old he was. It's riding in the 4th of July, uh, 4th of July parade, and thousands will see it. It's very old. Everything in it is in original condition. There's not a scratch on it. I'd like you to wash it and wax it and make sure it looks nice for everybody. And then he just walks away. And I was terrified. I didn't want to touch the thing. This guy, he, he, has, he has kept this in pristine order. He's, he's, he's reserved this for, it's being honored in the 4th of July parade. And everything is in mint condition. And he says, wash it, wax it, get it ready for the big day. I was sure somehow that I would destroy the car, but I didn't. And it was one of the most special responsibilities that had ever been given to me up to that point. And I enjoyed washing it. I enjoyed waxing it. I enjoyed making it beautiful. And then I went to the parade, and I saw this car riding in the parade in its time of honor. And it was such a blessing. Our bodies are for the Lord, and the Lord is for us. And he will honor our bodies with a resurrection that is, a, that is sure to amaze the world. That we will have a, a spiritual body, a glorified body, a perfect body that is, that is full of honor and beautiful. And then it should make us look at our life now and say, well, this is special. My body is special. The Lord wants to honor it. It has a future. It has a destiny. I want to take care of it. Because God is going to make it special. And we will be amazed. We will be amazed when God does honor our bodies in that way. Paul says to the Romans, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our bodies have a spiritual future, just as our souls do. We should take just as care for our bodies as we do for our souls. Let's look at the second one. The second one that Paul brings us to in verse 15 is our bodies have value. Verse 15, do you, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. See, when a person believes in Christ by faith, he or she becomes a member of Jesus' body. Becomes, he or she becomes joined in union, in a spiritual union with Christ. This means in a real sense that there is a bond with Jesus. That every person who trusts in Christ by faith, there is this bond with him. An inseparable bond a meaningful and personal and real bond that we have with Jesus. We bond with God through faith in Christ and we become a member of his body. And sexual sin, as Paul says, is the greatest opposition to our union with Christ because while we are joined in union with Jesus in spirit through faith, we become joined through another, to another person physically through sex. And this is why the Bible says... We are to become one with our spouse in Genesis 2. 
that when we take a spouse, we become one with him or her and no other. There's enormous value to our bodies because there's immeasurable value to our union with Jesus. Our bodies matter because our union with Christ matters. Our union with another person matters significantly because our union with Jesus matters significantly. And Paul draws the connection. It is a bond that is personal and meaningful and eternal, and it has present and future implications. If you're a Christian, many of you are, if you are a Christian, I want you to hear, if nothing else, I want you to hear this one thing. It is the central point of this passage. You see, this passage you might already be thinking about many applications. You might be thinking, I can, I can, I can see how I can honor God in many different ways. Um, sexually, or even what I eat, what I drink, what, how I treat my body. There are ways that I can honor my body. But there is one meaning, there is one interpretation, there is one meaning that Paul wants to drive home to Christians that are reading this, and this is it. There is nothing more inconsistent with the profession of your faith as a Christian than sexual sin. Because it is the one sin that is most significant to our union with Christ. This is why Paul moves quickly. Right as he says this and gets us to believe this, he moves quickly on to verse 18 and says, flee from sexual immorality. It's a verse that seems to have no build-up. It seems to be kind of out of place in sorts. Where he says, flee from sexual immorality. This word in the Greek is fugo. You know what it means just by hearing it. Fugo. Fugo. And I looked into this more, and you know, it doesn't actually say flee from sexual immorality. It says fugoha. Fugoha. It just means flee it. Flee it. We know what that means. Fugoha. Do I sound Middle Eastern? Fugoha. Flee it. He moves quickly onto it. He says, Fugoha. This is important to you. If you are union, if you have a union with Christ, then you're then this is important. So important. Have nothing to do with it. Flee from it for safety. There is nothing more inconsistent for a Christian to say, Lord, I trust in you, I believe in you, and then engage in sexual sin. If you're single and engaged in sexual sin. Fugoha. Flee it. Come to me. I will marry you. I mean, I will officiate a wedding in which I am there. No. If you're, if you're with somebody, and you're like, I, I love this person, and we just can't, we can't resist the, the, the flame, the desire, then get married. Let's talk. Let's, let's see what we need to do. Flee from sexual sin. If you're married and engaged in sexual sin, Flee it. Run from it. Remove all obstacles to stay away from it. Jesus says, even if we lust after a woman in our eyes, we commit adultery with her in our heart. Flee from it. Our hunger should not make us gluttons. Our thirst should not make us drunkards. And our desire should not make us sexually immoral. It should not make us slaves to that desire. The last thing that Paul wants us to know about our bodies is this. Our bodies have a purpose. Our bodies have a purpose. He says in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple? A temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's his final punctuation on, uh, uh, to his original point that we belong to God. 
his final punctuation in this passage is this. He talks about the, de- the, the defining fact of a believer's existence. A believer is in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. The defining fact of a believer is that there is this positional relationship with God, that he is in us and we are in him in a real and personal and meaningful sense. We shouldn't talk about our bodies without considering our position before God. We should not consider how we would treat our bodies without understanding our position before God, that he is in us and we are in him. And this happened because he ransomed us. He redeemed us. He bought us. He bought us, and therefore, we are not the owner of our bodies. We're not the owner of our bodies. We can't say, it's my body, I can do what I want. It belongs to the Lord, and it has a purpose to glorify and honor the Lord. If we are in Christ, we are not our own. Our purpose is to be a dwelling place for the Lord. Isn't that great? So if you witness somebody go and buy this, look at this house that's just, just broken down and, and, and rusted out and, and the, 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 the shingles are falling off and it's just beat up and this person, you, you find out this person buys this house at auction and you go to this person and say, why would you buy that house? It's a mess. And that person says, because I want to live in it. I'm going to make it my home. And that's what Jesus does with us. He looks at us in our sin. If you have committed sexual sin, if you're reading this passage, you're saying, I did not flee from it. I have dishonored God with my bodies, with my body. This is not an unforgivable sin. The good news, the gospel in all of this is that we can be these, these people that have dishonored God. And he says, I will ransom you. I will buy you back. I will make you my own. And I will dwell within you. It's great news. He doesn't only care about our souls. He doesn't only care about our minds. He cares about all of us. He died for all of us. All a part of us. Our body, our mind, our soul. And that's why Jesus tells us to love God with your body, your mind, your soul, your strength. With all of who you are. Because all of it is important. And all of it is meant for the Lord. The temple of God's people was this image of not punishment, not big brother mentality. Not, God did not establish a temple so that he could say, I'm always watching you. He established a temple so that he could be among his people and, and communicate to them, I'm with you, I am for you, here to love you, to protect you, to know you to enjoy you and you to enjoy me and to know me and to find protection and rest in me. It is, a, it is an image of, of love and presence. So when God says, I am making my dwelling in you and you are my temple, he is saying, I am for you, I love you, and I'm, and I'm going to be present in your life. I'm going to become familiar to you. He desires to dwell in us, to save us from the pain and punishment of our sins, to redeem us and to give us a future, to give us joy in our obedience to him. You know, we don't embrace, myself personally, or even us as a church, you know, we don't embrace these particular views on, on sexuality because we're trying to recapture the American dream. We, we do it not to preserve some, some idea that we have in our minds, but we do it because we want the gospel to bear on our lives. We want the gospel to bear on our lives and all of our lives. 
including our bodies. We want to live as not blind participants, but as men and women who understand, who believe and rest in the gospel to unite us to the living God where we find forgiveness and joy and peace that is eternal. We want to worship Him with all that we are. Glorify God with your body. Let's pray together. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.